good morning. We get to return into the Gospel of John again. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up to John chapter 12. We'll be going through verses 1 through 8, where Jesus is anointed by Mary. So starting with the first verse of the 12th chapter, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, Jesus, and Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray Jesus, said, Why was this ointment not sold for the three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, Having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. O Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises that are there in your word for us, for our peace, for our hope, for our deliverance, for everything. Thank you for the promises that are here in this, these eight verses, O Lord. And we pray that as we sit here in this hour and look through what you have done and what you're doing, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see and understand what you want us to see, that you would open up the ears of our mind and soul to receive what it is you're trying to give us. And we pray, O Lord, that you would do this because you have a purpose for us being here this morning. You have a purpose in us looking at these eight verses. You have a purpose in making us into the person you created us to be. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are. Believe it or not, at this point, the first verse of chapter 12 of the Gospel of John, up until the very end, takes place in six days. There are a gazillion verses packed into just six days. So when John tells us that six days before the Passover, this would have been the Saturday night before Jesus has his triumphal entry the next day. It was a Sabbath, obviously, being on a Saturday. So this was the Jewish Sabbath meal that takes place after sundown on every Sabbath. And in this case, Jesus was there in Bethany. But there's only six days left until he goes on to the cross. He has less than a week. To borrow from the Bill O'Reilly series, 
It's Saturday night and Jesus has six days left to live. The thing that stands out again, though, is verse 1, therefore. Well, that's kind of unusual because the word therefore means because of what just occurred in front of it or before it, this is true. So what is it about the Passover and Jesus coming to Bethany and Lazarus' house? What is that connected to the previous verse, verses in chapter 11? And the answer is primarily verse 57 of chapter 11. Now the chief priest and the Pharisees had given order that if anyone knew where he was, they should let him know so that they might arrest him, Jesus. And if you go backwards to verse 54, and Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with his disciples. So after he raises Lazarus from the dead, Jesus can't even go into Jerusalem without it becoming an issue. So instead, he goes to this small village out in the western wilderness of Judea, and there he stays until this moment, six days before Passover, and he comes to the village of Bethany. Being in Bethany is just over the hill from Jerusalem. He has less than a two-mile walk to get from Lazarus' house to the gate that he walks and rides the donkey through the next day. But Bethany was close enough to Jerusalem that Jesus didn't want to get there until it was the time of the Passover because of the conflict with the Pharisees. You can say, well, why was he worried about a conflict with the Pharisees? Because Jesus was in control of his destiny. And he didn't want a conflict with the Pharisees until the exact moment he wanted that conflict to occur. And because of that, he chose to stay away from Jerusalem until the moment was right for what he came to accomplish, for the thing which he was anointed by God the Father to fulfill. So, we get to Lazarus' house, the one, and John is very explicit. This is the one that Jesus raised from the dead. And they gave a dinner for Jesus in his honor. And as we have seen and heard before, Martha was serving. She was doing all the things that is typically done to have a meal put on the table and ready to be eaten. And Lazarus was there like sitting at the table talking with Jesus and the other guests at this dinner. And then Mary comes in. And she took a pound of very expensive ointment. Well, how expensive? Amy did the calculations, accounting for inflation over the past 2,000 years, the price of denarii, it came out to $57,000 in today's money. Mary, do you know which jar you have in your hands? Mary, are you sure you know what you're doing, Mary? That's $57,000. You know why we've got that jar 
right? Are you sure you want to do this? I mean, not to disparage Martha, but she probably would have taken the jar out of Mary's hand if she hadn't have been in the kitchen. That may be completely unfair to Martha. But Mary had no hesitation in taking this $57,000 jar of expensive perfume and anointing Jesus' feet. Now, if when we look at the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, they record a similar incident where there's a Mary who comes into the house and anoints Jesus' feet and then wipes his feet with her hair. But it's describing something different. It's a Pharisee named Simon. And it says this is a woman of ill repute, probably a prostitute. And none of that fits Mary. So the issue becomes, is this the same situation or a different one? Well, I tend to lean towards the idea that this that they're different events, different Marys, different uh, situations where Jesus' feet is anointed with an expensive perfume. But if you subscribe to the idea that they're the same, then what happens there is Jesus' head is anointed as well. And it's reasonable to conclude that Mary would have jar this expensive, this much of it, that she would have put some on his head as well as his feet. In fact, if you're using this exact perfume to anoint someone who is dead, to bury them in a tomb, you would put it on their head, in fact, their whole body. So it's very reasonable consent to us to assume that Mary anointed and poured it on Jesus' head as well as his feet, which meant it would have you know run down his whole most of his body. And anointing his feet and then wiping it with her hair was a a very intense sign of love and devotion. In Jewish culture, for a woman to let down her hair in public was it was bad manners. It was considered a, a you know a social faux pas as well as a as well as a, a a bad thing to do. And so, for her to do this to let down her hair in front of everyone there in the room was just a sign of her intense love for Jesus. She was willing to break these man-made rules of what was acceptable and what was unacceptable and what's socially okay and what's socially not okay to do this act for Jesus. And all of this raises the question What's the big deal about Jesus being anointed? Jesus tells us later on that the big deal about him being anointed is because she has done it in preparation for his death. 
that she did this, he says this odd thing, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Now, the intimation there is that she didn't use all of it, but she saved some for use later, at which case it would have then be used at Jesus' actual physical burial six days later. But also, it's not just that, well, she's using some of it now, but the rest of it she's saving for my burial in six days. It's also this idea that Jesus was being anointed. It isn't just that he's being anointed for his burial in some kind of symbolic way of what's going to happen. There's a deeper, richer symbolism taking place here than just putting some oil on his head and feet for his burial. This, in the most upside-down way of the gospel, like everything else Jesus has done in this entire gospel, that's upside-down, Mary is anointing Jesus for the calling and mission that he has been given to go through Passion Week, to experience the betrayal of Judas, suffer through the beatings by the Jews and the Romans, and then to be nailed to the cross and all the agonies that come with it. And what makes this upside down in Mary anointing him for this calling and mission is that it should have been the high priest. He should have been the one anointing Jesus for this mission. But instead, it's the lowly Mary from the village of Bethany. Kind of like it was the lowly village Bethlehem was where the Savior was born. And this idea of the anointing for a purpose and calling goes all the way back to the Old Testament. In fact, in Exodus 33, Moses is given by God a very specific uh, recipe for creating anointing oil that is used for anointing the tabernacle and the high priest and the pre and uh, not just the high priest, but all of the priest. And it is used for that particular use only to anoint the tabernacle and to anoint the priest at their ordination as a priest or high priest. And it was so unique and so special and so expensive that God the Father said, you will only use this. It is holy and you will only use it for those two purposes. In fact, even today, if you decide to replicate this recipe, you better have some money in the bank. I mean, really. That's even if you can find one of the ingredients that's in this recipe. They're very expensive. And so you can imagine, coming back to John chapter 12, this perfume 
is going to be just as expensive as what the perfume was for anointing the tabernacle and the priest. In fact, it may have had many of the same ingredients as that anointing oil. And here, we can imagine Mary anointing Jesus as the new high priest. Now, of course, it doesn't say that there in Scripture. But Jesus is not going to, by, by Judaic Mosaic law, Jesus is not going to be the great high priest apart from an anointing. And it is therefore reasonable to see that this is that moment that he is anointed as the great high priest who will then go forward to present and be the representative before God for all of us as his sacrifice for our sinfulness. And this practice of anointing is even carried on even into the modern day and throughout church history. Now, of course, it's most often associated with Catholic rituals. And as a result, many of the Protestant faiths have shied away from anointing with oil as part of the ministry and calling, but that is still part of what Scripture says. In fact, if we look at the book of James, turn there to, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to James chapter 5. It's right after Hebrews. If you find the book of Hebrews, take a right. So I'm going to read from chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven, like the phone going off in a sermon. And therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The anointing here that is given by James, many people have tried to make the argument that it was just, you know, putting oil on someone as part of some medicinal process of healing. And while it's absolutely true that olive oil or any other kind of oil they might be using did have medicinal purposes when applied to wounds and other kind of physical injuries, that just kind of betrays the real intent here. When James tells the believer to ask for the elders to come and pray over them and anointing that person with oil in the name of the Lord, it is the same kind of anointing described in the Old Testament as well as what we read in the Gospel of John. Anointing to put the oil on a person as a symbol of them being touched by the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit for the purpose of healing. Now, 
Of course, James would say, if he was here today, there is no supernatural, mystical power in the oil. It is the symbol that the oil represents is where the power occurs, and that being the healing power of Jesus Christ through his death on the cross and by the Holy Spirit at work in the believer. That's where healing comes from. And that's where the true anointing resides and rests. It's through the sacrificial death of Jesus on our behalf. And then James makes this stunningly bold claim after the person's been anointed and prayed for. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. Well, James, come on now. You don't really mean that he's going to save every single person and nobody dies if the elders come pray over them and anoint them with oil. You don't really mean that, do you, James? His answer is yes, but not the yes you think. You see, our Father in heaven heals the sick person in one of two ways. He either A, physically heals them to the point that we think of, causes the sickness to go away, whether it's by miraculous work of his hand or a work of modern medicine or both. And this person is completely healed physically or mentally or emotionally. And they walk around as a whole new person. The other way that he heals us is he gives us the ultimate healing. And the ultimate healing is leaving this world and going to be with him. And the being raised up is when at the great resurrection of his second coming, he raises us up out of the grave. And we are really healed at that moment. There can be no greater healing than resurrection from the dead on the great day that Jesus comes back to this earth. So in the one of two ways, what we would consider a healing in the medical physical sense are the deliverance from death through life with him and then resurrection from the dead. What a precious and amazing gift is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we can go back to Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit comes down in tongues of fire. And where does it go when it comes down? On the heads of the disciples. That too is an anointing. It's not with oil. It's with these tongues of fire. But it's still an anointing on the heads of the disciples. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they are so filled with the Holy Spirit of this anointing with the Holy Spirit that they actually speak in other languages and are proclaiming the gospel to people in their own native tongue, even though none of these 12 or 13 guys have ever done it before. Look, nobody taught Parthian to any of the disciples. Okay, just It didn't happen. They never learned Parthian. But yet, there they are speaking 
Parthian and proclaiming the salvation in no other name but Jesus in the Parthian language to the people that are there in Jerusalem who speak Parthian. What a gift is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The giving of His love to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that anointing of the Holy Spirit, it gives us healing. It heals us first through the peace of Christ that we receive by Him washing away our sins and restoring our relationship with Him and the peace and the joy that we have. Then, I believe He even uses the Gospel and the Holy Spirit to bring physical healing. Sometimes He works within modern medicine, but there are times when He supernaturally does it out of His own divine hand that's an inexplainable miracle, at least inexplainable by medicine and modern medicine. But the anointing of the Holy Spirit will also bring healing, or it can bring healing, Emotionally, the wounds of the past, the traumas of our hurts from those who should have been people we could trust, but they hurt us. The Holy Spirit can bring healing to that as well. It often involves coming face to face with those events and putting our trust in Him to do that. He can also bring healing spiritually. The anointing of the Holy Spirit can bring spiritual healing as well. This this part of our spirit that feels broken and separated, the Holy Spirit can knit it back together in the fullness of who who we are and who we really were meant to be. And I know I keep using this phrase because there's there's the there's the person God created us to be and there's the person we've made ourselves into because of our sins, because of the way we've responded to the other people's sins against us. We've made ourselves into someone who is not what God created us to be. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the coming to terms with the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual aspects of who we created ourselves into will then bring us back into the person He created us to be to fulfill the mission He gave us before we were formed in our mother's wombs. And we will be a whole person again. In a sense, we're living as two people, the one we're supposed to be and the one that we are. And the working of the Holy Spirit will bring us into the one person who is everything we were supposed to be and everything He's created us to be with the scars of our past. And that, that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to be who God created us to be along with the scars of our past. And all of this, all of it, 
Everything is possible because Jesus died on the cross to save us, to deliver us, and to give us hope. So, I don't know what kind of hope you need this morning. I don't know what kind of anointing you need this morning. But I will say to you, if you're willing to walk with Jesus, sometimes through the valley of the shadow of death, you will be whole again. But as someone who knows a little bit about this, that valley walk ain't going to be fun. It's going to be ugly and painful. But you don't walk it alone. And when you get to the other side, there's a richness and a joy that cannot be explained apart from the working of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Oh Lord, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. Thank you, Father, for sending your son Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins so that we can receive the Holy Spirit and walk in the fullness of who you've created us to be. And Lord, I ask that you would just pour out your Spirit, anointing every person in this room for everything that they need to receive to walk in the fullness of who you've created them to be. And I ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.